Hello, and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information services provider for emerging markets executives. We partner with business leaders at over 200 multinationals by providing them with research, analytical tools, and data that help power their emerging market business strategies. The focus of today's podcast is part three of a four-part series on effective customer segmentation strategies in emerging markets. Our topic will be a deeper dive on segmentation strategy number two, behavioral segmentation. My name is Richard Leggett, and I'm the CEO of Frontier Strategy Group, and I'm joined in studio today by Dan Cornfield, FSG's Head of Management Excellence Research. As a reminder, this research and all of our content is available via our portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com or via your FSG iPad application. Dan, welcome into the studio. Thanks, Rich. Great to be here. Just to frame the discussion a bit for our listeners FSG has recently released an in-depth four-part emerging market customer segmentation research series. And today our discussion will focus on the third of those four parts. And that is a deep dive on effective segmentation strategy known as behavioral segmentation. The first two discussions provided an executive summary and a deep dive on market segmentation strategy. And in a subsequent discussion, we'll take a deeper look into the final highly effective segmentation strategy, profitability segmentation. So with that as a backdrop, why don't we get started? I want to begin maybe just with a a defining question, which is how do you define behavioral segmentation and why should our clients deploy it? Like what's its primary goal? Absolutely. So what people most classically think of when they think of customer segmentation is what the previous podcast focused on, which is market segmentation. And that's how do I divide my market? Let's say that I'm trying to sell to businesses in Brazil. I'm going to divide that in different ways. It could be geographically. It could be I'm going to divide them into uh, larger or small businesses and so forth. When it comes to behavioral segmentation, we're no longer talking about that high level of segmentation. We're talking about how do we segment the individual buyers that our sales team is going to run into in the course of their uh, selling or that our marketing team is going to try to pitch to when they market. Um, And so there are different mindsets that buyers have. And those different mindsets require different commercial strategies in response. The two fundamental questions that we like to ask when we think of a behavioral segment is, how do they buy and why do they buy? And I think if we define those two things, we've defined the behavior that really comprises that segment. So in essence, market segmentation is giving you your territories, if you will, and and smart ways of thinking about your territories. And behavioral segmentation is smart ways of thinking about profiles of buyers within those territories. Absolutely. So within a territory, which might be, for example, mid-sized companies in Northeast Brazil or teenage women in Southeast Brazil, if you're a a B2C company, within those, you still have different behavioral groups, right? And Give me an example. Bring it to life. What would a behavioral segment be? uh, Absolutely. So for example, in um, in the alcoholic beverages industry, classically, the, the way that's been segmented is by gender, age group, and income level, right? And you definitely do see different behaviors at the intersection of those, right? So men who are high income over the age of 30 have a different um, alcoholic beverage enjoyment profile than others. But what we've started to see alcoholic beverage companies do that's even more sophisticated than that as they go deeper into behavioral segmentation, how do people buy and why they buy, is think about what is the purpose and the occasion for the enjoyment of this drink? So is it to relax? Is it to uh, show off? 
Is it to uh, celebrate? These are different reasons for why I'm buying. And understanding that can really help them tailor their marketing and their sales strategies. Okay. In the research, you discuss standard approaches and then innovative approaches to behavioral segmentation. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting. The innovative approaches outperform dramatically. Uh, and I just want to put some numbers on it from your survey and, and the interviews that you did with dozens of uh, emerging market executives. One, conversion rates. You saw 100% greater than average conversion rates and much higher likelihood to exceed year-on-year revenue growth above 20% when companies deployed these innovative behavioral segmentation strategies. And so I, I think those kinds of numbers are eye-opening and, and merit a little deeper dive. So what, what are the innovative approaches and how do they differ from uh, the standard approaches? Yeah, Rich, so I'm just conscious that I, I brought together an example in the, very much in the consumer space. So I just want to quickly bring together an example in the business-to-business space before I dive into what works. So in the business-to-business space, we have, for example, clients that sell to restaurants, And one of the behavioral differences that they've identified in their buyers is, am I selling to a procurement manager? Am I selling to a chef? Or am I selling to a baker? A procurement manager may be focused on cost. A chef is an artiste and really wants to know all about how this is going to make his artistic product look good. And a baker is a scientist who just wants reliability and he wants the loaves of bread to turn out right every time. So again, it's it's not that behavioral segmentation only works in the B2C side. That's really where this was born. The, the pioneering on behavioral segmentation was there. The kind of classic focus groups, if you will, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it really can apply very powerfully to the business-to-business world as well. Okay, good. All right, now let's dig into the standard versus innovative approaches. Yeah, so the, the standard approach to behavioral segmentation is to basically take an, an informal approach to say, my own salespeople will naturally talk about different buyer types, they'll trade stories, they'll trade advice, and, and that's fine, and that works just fine. The innovative approaches start with understanding your buyer priorities, so really trying to document what are the differences in why different buyers buy, not just in theory, but like actually looking at, you know, if we look at our last six months of sales, what has really motivated the bulk of those sales? And then providing formal segment guidance and written segment profiles. So it's really structuring behavioral segmentation as a practice within the organization. What we find is that companies that don't formalize their segments don't have a common language where they can share across different uh, different offices what they're learning from their very best salespeople and how to interact with those segments. And then written segment profiles really provide a common reference guide. And what we've seen is that written profiles are actually more powerful than just training exercises, which is uh, what companies often default to is we'll do a training module, sign in and, and go through the training on the four behavioral types. What works better is that people have profiles in front of them. They can pin them up in their desk space and use those as a reference guide as they go about their day-to-day. Tied to that, you provide a really interesting framework for how clients can segment their clients by their behaviors. And could you maybe, uh, while it's visual, I, I think it is helpful to bring this to life a little bit over the podcast. Can you walk us through the framework? Absolutely. So there are simpler and more complex ways to build behavioral segmentation, but a, a classic starting point is just a two-by-two two diagram, and you can find this in our written research. It's called the Behavioral Segmentation Builder. And essentially, we're putting the two core questions on the two axes. So why do our customers buy and how do they buy? And you want to answer for uh, a particular market segment, uh, once you've already done your market segmentation, what are the, the two 
most salient differences in the answers to these questions. So why the customers buy, for example, very often you have some groups of customers that are more quality motivated and others that are more efficiency and cost motivated. And that's a very salient division, but that's not the only division. So depending on your own industry and the kinds of customers that you're facing, the answer to why they buy will differ. Similar for how they buy. So how customers buy. Some organizations, for example, if we take a process approach to this question, are very consensus-driven. You can't just speak to one decision-maker to get a purchase made. They have to consult with their team. They have to consult upwards, downwards with finance. Uh, it's, it's important to distinguish that from an organization where it's very top-down decision-making. You can have one half-an-hour meeting with somebody, and they pull the trigger. Great. Yeah, it's a salesperson's dream, isn't it? <laughs> In uh, the research, you also provide three highly relevant best practices and a case studies uh, that sort of surround those best practices. I don't think we're going to have time to go into all three of the cases. So I took the liberty of choosing two that uh, I thought we could walk through. Let's start with building a global behavioral framework that can be adapted locally. Can you walk us through kind of the case facts, the challenge that this company went through in trying to do that? Absolutely. So um, this case was, uh, we've named it Carquinez Pharmaceutical Company. Uh, The company was very happy to share their story, but preferred not to be named in this case. But this is a a large pharmaceutical company that operates globally, and they wanted to equip their sales reps to walk into a meeting with a doctor And within the first five minutes, identify what kind of mindset am am I encountering with this doctor? And therefore, how can I best meet their needs? And so we're going to talk about the behavioral segmentation framework that they apply to doctors. Um, Now, this can get into multiple layers. So increasingly, pharmaceutical companies have to sell not just to doctors, but to hospital administrators, for example. And there they would apply a different behavioral segmentation framework. But for the purpose of illustrating the principles here, we'll stay focused on doctors. What they did is they said, we want a segmentation framework that applies across the globe so that we can really simplify the orientation and the guidance we're providing to our people. But at the same time, we want to recognize that there are local differences that doctors in India are not exactly the same as doctors in Argentina, for example. So that was the challenge that they started out with, is how do we keep things simple enough to be globally relevant, but also acknowledge these local differences? How did they solve that? What was the solution and some of the best practices you observed? So they started by building a global framework that applied, for the most part, to doctors everywhere. And they, they wanted to keep it simple, so they kept it down to four types of doctors. And the way they sourced these four different types of segments of doctors is by talking to their most effective salespeople around the world and looking for patterns in what everybody said they encountered as a mindset. So in their case, they had two axes that they looked at. One was, is this doctor more science-oriented or patient-oriented? So the science-oriented doctors love reading the the latest journals, love being up on the evidence that backs up their practice, whereas the patient-oriented doctors, uh, it's not that they ignore the evidence, they care about that, but what they really want to be able to do is explain to their patients the pros and the cons of different treatment options. Then they also have a different distinction, which is between traditionalists and early adopters. Traditionalist doctors want to feel very comfortable that they're in the middle of the pack. They're not standing out. They're not prescribing things that other doctors aren't prescribing, uh, and nobody can fault them for not for not doing you know a solid job. In contrast, the early adopters want to be leading the pack. They want to be able to say to their patients, you know, a lot of doctors don't have this in yet, but here's here's the latest treatment that's actually going to be far more effective with fewer side effects than what the typical doctor is going to offer you. 
And so what they found is that around the globe, doctors tend to fall into these categories. They're science-oriented, patient-oriented, traditionalist, or early adopters. And that can provide a lot of guidance to a salesperson. If they walk in and in five minutes, they say, this is a science-oriented early adopter. They know exactly what kind of marketing material to pull out of their briefcase and what kind of conversation they want to have. But this wasn't getting them all the way to what they wanted to get to because there's still this question of the local needs and how those differ. So how did they address the local bit? So what they did to keep things simple is they said in each particular market, let's say India, for example, of the four behavioral segments that we see, um, there are two that tend to manifest themselves most often. So let's really focus on those two. But then let's understand how those two play differently in the Indian market. So an early adopter, for example, in India may not behave exactly the same way as an early adopter in the United States of America. And so what they do is they allow a second level of customization of guidance for teams in India based around what does it mean to be an early adopter in India. So everybody's speaking the same language globally. Everybody can talk about early adopters, but then they add on this additional layer of how does that play out here? And what were the results? Um, So this company actually experienced fantastic results. They launched this in in the mid-2000s, and after it was launched, their revenue per employee, so a a good look at commercial productivity, um, has jumped year over year, four years running, um, and and significant jumps. So it started out as uh, in in the $500,000 per employee level. And four years later, it was above $600,000 per employee. So this is not just growth, right? Because with growth, you have to hire more and more people. This is more effective salesmanship because the same people are selling more. Profitable growth. That's a step change. Exactly. Okay, let's, um, in our remaining time, turn to the second case study. The one I chose was one uh, where it's built around a practice of how to use behavioral segmentation to help set the right service levels. Talk us through the the case facts here, and then we can talk about the, the solution. This was a company that had a a segmentation framework in place that was more of a market and profitability segmentation framework. So they they had their key accounts, then they had their their AAA accounts, their AA accounts, and their single A accounts. Um, And this is actually kind of funny. They used to call those A, B, and C accounts, uh, but then they paid an expensive consultant to come in and say, you know what, nobody likes to be called a C account. So call those the A accounts, and then you have the AA accounts on top of those, the AAA accounts on top of those. So anyway... um, all a bit of optics for them. But they had this this uh, pyramid, if you will, of... Just, just to be clear, that consultant was not Frontier. No, 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 no. Um, try to provide a little bit deeper insight th- than that to our clients. So key accounts at the top of the pyramid, then you have your, your three tiers below that. But the problem that they faced was below the key account level, they basically had a similar level of service that they provided to each of those tiers. So it was, it was helping them in prioritizing their sales to have this profitability framework. But then once you were in, once you purchased from this company, then you would get the same white glove treatment as any, any other customer on kind of a first come first serve basis. So all these customers would line up in a queue. And if you were the first there, then you got the white glove treatment first. And eventually they said, this doesn't make any sense. Um, a good portion of our clients are, are not very profitable because we're giving them way too much customer service based on how much they're actually paying us. So how did they approach in solving this? This is a storyline that I've heard many, many times. Yeah, so the the simplest thing to do, right, is just to block out and say, okay, well, if, if you're at the lowest tier level of profitability and, and, and size, then you get absolute bare bones service and in the middle you get middle and at the top you get top right the problem with that is 
you're going to go through a transition where people have been used to very high quality service and suddenly you're saying all you get is an online portal. You don't get an account manager anymore. Um, and that's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way, potentially, right? So what this company did is they eased the transition into this new model by taking behavioral segmentation into account. So they looked at not just how much are our clients spending, but what is the way in which they want to interact with us from a customer service level. And they have five behavioral segments. The first is the partners, and these are the ones that are really strategically looking five years down the line. How are we going to work together on maintenance and repair issues? Because what this company sells is really complex machinery. Then you have all the way down to the savers at the bottom of their five-step segmentation, which are the, the folks that only care about value for their money, right? You also have do-it-yourselfers, right? So these are companies that they don't need a lot of technical support. They want the very best equipment, but then they'll install it themselves. They'll take care of it themselves. Uh, and you have OEMers. These are companies that reliability is so vitally important to them that they can't possibly have any generic components in their products. And uh, they have to make sure things run every time that they have backups in place and so forth. And the, the fifth category is the balancers, which sit in between the partners and the, and the savers that really want a mix of these. And so how did they implement this? So they segmented these clients. Mm-hmm. T- tell us about the implementation and the results. Yeah, absolutely. So what they did is they overlaid this behavioral segmentation on top of their customer profitability pyramid. And this led to a really interesting pyramid grid, which you can view in the case study. Um, again, this, this case study is named Emmerich Industrial Company in the report. What this allowed them to do is to say, where would we have in this overlay clients that are very well suited to the level of service they'll get at the price point they're currently at? So, for example, if you're a partner and you're a AAA account, you're where you should be, right? Um, you want white glove treatment and you're going to get it. If, on the other hand, you're a partner but you're in my mentality but you're a single A account, this is going to be a really tough fit. How can we migrate you upwards in this ladder? Are you willing to pay more for a higher quality of service? And can we have a really positive conversation about that? Or is this an account that we should de-emphasize because there's such a mismatch between expectations and what we're going to deliver at this price point that it shouldn't be uh, something that our whole commercial team breaks their backs for if at the end of the day we're going to lose this customer no matter what? Interesting. Okay. I'm watching the time, Dan. I think we're up against it. There's so much really good content in this report, including a whole other case study. So I really encourage our listeners to read this. I want to thank you for sharing your insights and look forward to diving deeper into the other segmentation strategies in subsequent podcast discussions. As a reminder, you can speak to Dan or any member of the FSG research team at any time by reaching out directly or via your FSG client relationship director. And you can also access this customer segmentation research and all of our management excellence research on our portal at portal.frontierstrategy.com. This concludes our podcast. We wish you great outperformance across your emerging market portfolio.